0: Good morning, my name is Adam, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, and youngins, you are free to head on out of here. Um, I gotta tell you, I'm gonna talk a little bit uh, just right off the bat here about some uh, kids ministry things, and I'm gonna start off by telling you what they are up to today. Uh, One, because uh, I'm jealous and you ought to be as well, Um, but two, I am a little bit, um, I didn't plan well because I should have planned to uh, figure out some way to be a part of this. But they, they are engaged in Christmas in July today. And th- so this is a, you know, it's, it's been a tradition. We've done this in, in various ways uh, over the, the, the years. But it's a little bit different today. And it's something that I didn't tell uh, Rory, our facilities guy, about until about 10 minutes ago. I texted him just so he can't claim that I didn't tell him before it happened. Um, but we've got a snow machine downstairs. There is a snow machine in the basement there, and the kids are uh, celebrating Christmas in July. So uh, you all get to be up here where there will be no snow and there will be no Christmas in July. So um, that's kind of on you, Uh, you know, your choices in life um, that bring you up here. So... um, that's true. We could all just go there right now, right? We're just going to call this a day and we're going to head on downstairs. But one thing I do want to, to say uh, in, in all seriousness about kids ministry is that this has been uh, a part of, of the foundation of our church is, is the way that we care about kids. And one of the things that, that is going to begin in September to demonstrate that uh, this is something that, that matters to us. Uh, I will be taking one Sunday a month, and I will be teaching Sunday school, and we will figure out something to do up here. Um, but this is, it, it matters enough to me that, um, that, that I got to put my money where my mouth is. So I will be headed downstairs to be uh, a kids ministry volunteer one Sunday a month. And this is something I'm going to invite you to, to consider uh, to come with me, because this is something that, this is the pointy end of the spear as far as ministry goes and in pouring into these kids. It, it's also something that is, uh, is a lot easier than you might think. And it's also a lot harder than you might think. But this is where, you know, if you, uh, one of the things that that I say often when people um, come and there's a little bit of concern about or are struggling to hear God, and they're they're asking questions, how can I hear God? One of the things that I say is that you find out where he is and you get in his way. And I can tell you that God is with the kids. And so this is something that that matters enough that we're going to be putting as much resource as we can towards it And so I'm going to say another thing uh, before we get on with our work for today, and this is something that that if you've been with us uh, for a stretch of time, you know that I've I've made this statement before, Um, but when we are recruiting for kids ministry leaders and we're getting ready to kick off this new ministry year that kind of kicks off in September, one thing I often point out is that there is a, a really sad uh situation in, in the American church where kids ministry has become an auxiliary of women's ministry and men it is on us to be in kids' ministry. It is imperative that kids learn about Jesus from both men and women. And so we cannot allow the women to carry the, the load for us. We gotta step up and carry the load as well. So with that, let's pray and get on with our, our Sunday. Father, we thank you for our kids. We thank you for how clearly you make it that these kids matter to you. We pray that you would bless them now as they are celebrating downstairs. I pray that that even in the midst of the snow and in the midst of of the the crazy party in the middle of the year, I pray that they would feel a connection to you. And I pray that, that when they look back on their journey, they would remember that they were a part of a church that loved them. And Father, I pray for us that you would make us aware of your love for us. I pray that we could feel like kids being loved on Christmas right now. I pray that your presence would be thick. I pray that it would be tangible. And I pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well... We are in the dog days of, of our summer of heroes, which is both a nod to this stupid heat that we are experiencing, um, but maybe also a little bit of, of an inappropriate uh, disparaging of one of the heroes that, that we're going to talk about today. Um, either way, though, we are we're spending this summer in Hebrews chapter 11 and, and allowing the, that scripture, that passage of scripture to teach us about faith as we examine people from our spiritual lineage— that the writer of Hebrews calls heroes due to the faith that they exhibit. Now, when I say spiritual, spiritual lineage, uh, it's important for us to, to remember that the people that we talk about are, are, are yes, they're, they're historical figures that actually lived. They, they actually walked on this planet. Their, their hearts be- were, were beating. They were alive. But also, these are people that, are, that we are connected to in, in, in our faith. And so this, we're talking about family members when we, real live family members when we are uh, talking about the folks that, that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, one outcome that we reached really early on in this series is identifying faith as a product of participation with God in his plan to reconcile, reconcile the world back to himself. We see from each of these stories, the stories that kind of emanate out of, of these heroes, we see that each of these stories, that faith is not produced through h- human effort, through human talent, or through achievement, but as a product of partnering with God as he invites us to participate in his will. The more we unpack this, though, and the more, honestly, the stories start to sound similar, the more I come to realize the roots of my own struggle with having faith in God and perhaps why our culture both in and out of the American church struggles with faith as well. Now, I've navigated a lot of my life much more interested in God participating with me rather than being inclined to participate with him. I ask God's intervention as a response to discomfort, tragedy, adversity, but then I have a lot less interest in God's participation when it comes to my desires and my ambitions. I'm sure I'm the only one that uh, lives that way, right? The truth is, <laughs> yeah, that, was, if you, if you, that was Mariel driving the bus over me. Um, <laughs> if you didn't hear that on the recording, um, that's... <laughs> But, uh, but in, 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 in all honesty, I want God to save me from negative consequences. I want him to bless me with positive consequences, and I want him to do all of that at arm's length so I can enjoy life without my self-determination being encroached upon. In case you missed that, that was a confession. And I think this reflects some parts of the American church and we can discern this by what folks are invited to engage in when they're invited into the American church. Rather than extending invitations to participate in God's plan for community, we see invitations to experience God's power in, honestly, in selfish ways. We uh, we see A theology built around concern for where we go when we die, or how to respond to tragedy, or how we can achieve personal goals, or or growth, or fulfillment, or how we can find some prosperity. All of this, we limit the scope of the relationship that God makes available to us. This type of theology is a consumer theology. A theology that makes God a commodity, and often... This consumption and commodification is tied to the lie that we can earn relationship by our actions, by our rituals, or by our morality. The motivation for this is often some type of an inward focus, a type of focus that that American culture preaches us is the path to fulfillment, gratification, and survival. This type of relationship with God is a product of a theology that tells us that God is available for our comfort, God's available for our ambition, and he's available for our prosperity. This is about giving himself in line with my will rather than God giving himself in line with his will. It actually keeps me from experiencing the security that I seek. The heroes that we see today are hardly the type that we would call good, upstanding gentlemen, but their faith is heroic. It's heroic because they're willing to participate in God's will regardless of how crazy that will might seem to them. And also, this is reflective of a journey, a life that leads to this place of, of operating it in heroic faith we've seen already that the criteria to make it onto the list of heroes in Hebrews 11 uh, is not high moral character isn't good behavior it's not the ability to follow religious rituals um, this is good news for me uh, it might be good news for you as well um, but this point that, that comes from that reality is, is something that, that, that we've made over and over the summer. It's one that we'll continue to make even as we go beyond this summer. But, but the reality is that, that we cannot work our way into God's love. We, we cannot earn our way to heroic faith. We can't achieve enough to qualify, but we can participate. Now, with all of that, I want to be cautious about the criticism that I just threw out. Maybe I should have said that before I started criticizing I'll make a note of that for the future. Um, I'm not attacking anyone or any institution that we would know as our church family, our wider church family in in our country and even beyond. Um, And I'm not certainly attacking anyone that prays for God's intervention in their life. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. This is something that we encourage. It's something that we practice every time that we meet. God's intervention into our life is actually really the starting point of relationship. And it's one that that likely we all share in common. That That entry point of God into our life is because we have cried out to him for intervention. That can't be seen as a negative thing. This is an entry point to relationship that is not rare and is not problematic. Identifying a need for God and asking for his presence and intervention into the chaos of life, that life lived apart from him, this is an open door to the love of the Father. So it's actually a really positive thing in that light. What happens when we reach the threshold of that door, though, what happens next is key to the development of of faith and development of relationship with the Father rather than just that simple intervention. Do we seek the order that comes from participation in God's will, participation of God as the center of our life, or do, do we want to be, do we want God to be in our orbit, ready to strike when we need some good luck? This This tension, this dichotomy, this reality is something that Jesus teaches us about in Matthew chapter 16. He teaches, then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Giving up our own way is... To step into participation with God, rather than hold God to the expectation that He participates with me, giving up my selfish ways and picking up the cross is the way that we participate with the Holy Spirit. The need, all of the needs, all the desires, all the wants, everything that brings us to, to a place of concern all of the places where we seek God's intervention, all of this we find are also included in in part of God's plan for reconciliation with the world, along with so much more. In other words, participating with God doesn't actually mean that we lose out on anything that we might desire, but we will see our desires change. What happens is we get invited into an adventure participating with God is adventure. Adventure is the right word. We're going to see that with our two heroes today. Our two heroes today are a demonstration of the power available to the children of the Father. This power is manifest in the activity of God according to his plan and is not tied to any notions of worthiness or earning or achievement. God loves us and chooses to do the work of his kingdom with us playing a role. This is an important point to get. This is something that has to land. God loves us and chooses to do the work of his kingdom with us playing a role. And accepting our role in that plan is heroic faith. So let's take a look at those two heroes now. We're going to start in Hebrews 11, verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women receive their loved ones back again from death. I love this passage so much. This is like, like, like every, everything in me that loves action movies. Like I just, this is so awesome. This would actually make the most amazing action movie ever. Shutting the mouth of lions, quenching the flames of fire, escaping death by the edge of the sword. That's so awesome. But then this, their weakness turned to strength. We're going to take a glance at Barak and Samson today and see what what adventure participation with God looks like, but also how God manifests in our weakness to bring wholeness and the wholeness becomes strength towards victory. Now, you can't tell the story of Barak, and this is, this is a really interesting. You, know, you think about why, why these folks that made the list um, from the author of Hebrews 11. That's a question that, that obviously the, you know, the, the answer, maybe for some, is self-evident. It's not self-evident to me because I'm looking at these, especially Samson, and I, I can't wait to get to Samson because it's so crazy to think that, that this guy is a hero of the faith, that God actually used him. We're going to get to that in a second, but, but Barak, we can't talk about Barak without talking about Deborah. Deborah was a judge over the nation of Israel in the time between the Exodus and the era of the kings. The death of Joshua that, in, that occurs, oddly enough, at the end of the book of Joshua, uh, it brings a new reality to Israel that lasted about three centuries. They're in their homeland, they're they're ready to live as the chosen people of God, with God as the head of of, of this nation. But there's not a single strong human leadership presence, and that exposed the weaknesses of the people and their lack of faith in God as, as their leader and as their father. The nation, if you remember, was made up of 12 tribes. And, and tribalism was alive and well. These tribes, uh, trying to get them to coexist, I mean, if you have siblings, um, then, then you can imagine You know that writ large is uh, tribalism in the nation of, of Israel. Uh, they, they, they got along except that they really didn't, and they liked each other except they really didn't, and they fought a lot and also um, were encroached upon by uh, all of... The other nations that were around them, and so conflict was uh, a reality of, of life at, at, at this time. You know, thankfully, that, that ended with this time, and conflict is no longer a reality that we live in. Um, Ashley did not warm them up at all. That's, yeah, that's on you. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad that if I have somebody to blame for my, my jokes landing like a belly flop, but. Um, that's a gift from the Lord. Uh, that's also another sermon. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, for, but these, the, the coexistence between the tribes was only achievable through the leadership of judges that served as civil and, and religious authorities. And so we see this in, in Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from the attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods how quickly they turned away from, their path of, from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies through, throughout that judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. Now, as go the leaders, so goes the nation of Israel. We have a few types of leaders when we look at the 15 people that, that God called to be judges of the nation of, of Israel. We've got the good, the okay, the bad, and the holy crap. That's and that's real. That's a, a Latin term, um, just for the record, um, for the emails that are going to come tomorrow. Uh, the 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 farther the leader gets from. From, from Moses, the farther the leader gets from, from Joshua, the farther the, the, that, that leader gets from the reality that's left by, by those two leaders, uh, the, the, the farther the nation d- descends into sin. The closing line of the book of Judges, after the, the era of the Judges is, is getting close to, to coming to a close, is, it really tells the tale of the entire book. It's, it's a good sum. It says In those days, Israel had no king all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. The nation of Israel was in a cycle, and this is a downward cycle, and it began with sin. It began with idolatry. It began with worshiping something other than God. It began with placing something other than God as the center of order. That would lead to oppression by an outside force, which would then lead the, uh, the, the, the sinful nation of Israel into this time of repentance, which would lead to God's intervention and then his deliverance. And then after deliverance, because they were, they were now safe, there would be peace. And in the peace, we would start to see a little bit of sloppiness come back in. And, and with the sloppiness, a little bit of idolatry, and then idolatry would lead to oppression. And, and all of this just was a cycle that continued over three centuries with the judges. With the lack of pressure that peace brings, sin would return, and the cycle would continue. Judges 4, we see Barak and Deborah. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. The cycle continued. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth hagoyim Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, Ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife of, of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day, she, she sent for Barak, son of ben Abin- Oh Man, why did I, I... I made it all the way through to that one, and that's the easiest one. Abinoam. abin o And I'm going to trip over it. We're going to call him Abby. <laughs> she sent for Barak, son of, of Abby, who lived in Kadesh, in the land of Nephtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Now this is, is Barak. This is, this is the, what he's about to be told to do. This is adventure led by the Lord. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulon at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. That was not a problem for Barak. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. The heroic faith of, of Barak, activated by having the presence of Deborah with him, is evidenced by doing something crazy and trusting that God would be God. Now, the modern equivalent of, of, of what, what Barak is doing is leading a few regiments of infantry with, with small arms against a core of enemy tanks. Now, it has been a while since I have studied the art and science of warfare, but I do remember enough to tell you that this is a really, really bad idea. This is, this is stupid. This is not... A sound plan. This, and now think about this from the standpoint of, of the dudes that actually have to do this. Think about that poor dude that was just minding his own business, got sucked up into the, the draft and drug up on top of Mount Tabor, and he's standing there with his sword looking down on the enemy camp and the 900 iron chariots, and the order he gets is he, he run at those. This plan sucks. This is terrible. This is, like the, this is not a good idea. This is a terrible plan if it was a plan made by men. Barak takes his crew and he does what is asked. He does the crazy. He steps into the realm of I don't even know what you would call it, but just the the realm of of, this doesn't make any sense, but I'll do it anyway. He did what was asked, and then God does what God does. Judges 4 tells us that as, as Barak attacked, the Lord threw the enemy force into panic, and every member of the enemy force is killed. The oppressors of the nation of Israel are destroyed. And Barak is a hero of the faith because he showed up where God told him to go and he trusted God with a really crazy plan. It is so easy to read this. It's so easy to teach this. It would not be so easy to stand on Mount Tabor and look down. You think about the faith that it took. Not just for for Barak, but as a leader, leading by example. What he was able to do was motivate his crew to do the crazy. And so we know him as a hero of the faith. Now Samson... Samson, as far as judges go, you know, I told you the good, the bad, the okay. Samson is one of those holy crap bad. He is Latin bad. He is, he is arrogant. He is horny. He's violent. He wins brutal, bal- he brutal battles at the expense of his integrity. He dies in this crazy act of mass murder. This is not a good dude. Judges 13 shows us that at this time we've got Israel now under the rule of the Philistines. Samson is an exceptional birth, as he is the fulfillment of a promise to a couple that were unable to have kids. God promises him a son, and Samson is born. Verse 24 says that the Lord blessed him as he grew up, and part of this blessing is great strength. We see him in in this passage in in, uh, Judges 13 showing his great strength, by another thing that, that I wonder what this would look like in the movies, but he's attacked by a lion, and Samson being attacked by a lion, this lion is charging him, lunging at him. He just, he grabs the lion by the jaw and just rips him apart. Like, that's kind of strong. That, I mean, I don't even know, I, I, I kind of, I really don't want to see that, but I kind of want to see that, you know? <laughs> But this is something that that Samson actually did. And so some of, you know, I've heard somebody teach one time, well, lions were probably a lot smaller then. I can't even imagine doing that with it like, my cat, my cat whoops me. (laughs) You know, like, this, it it doesn't matter. You know, I'm sure the lion was, you know, a lion as we know. But he caught the thing and ripped it. It, This dude's strong. But he's also very weak. He is controlled by his desires. He's controlled by his desire for gratification. He's controlled by comfort. He is controlled by all things that we would look and say, this is not a good dude. He sees a girl that he wants, a Philistine girl, and he marries her. This is not good. He was specifically told not to do this. At the wedding party of this wedding that he was told to not have, His wife betrays him at the wedding party, and so in response to that, he just kills everybody that's at the wedding party. He is also, I mean, I think really to describe Samson the best, we would have to use the word terrorist. One of the, I say favorite, and I know this is probably not something that should be a favorite um, but one of the things that Samson does is just like, how do you even think of that? But he, he would, depending on what version of scripture you read, it's either jackals or foxes, but he gets these wild dogs, and he grabs a bunch of them, two by two, he ties their tails together, and then he ties a lit torch to their tail and sends them through the fields to burn out all the wheat and all the, the, the food of, of, of the Philistines. How do you even think of that? This guy is like... Interesting. But this, if you can imagine, you know, tying the tails together with torches and sending them through the fields, this actually, it angers the Philistines um, because all their food is gone. And so it starts the war. And in this war, Samson kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. This keeps like it just, every time you, un- like you turn the page a little bit more, something else happens. You're like, this is one of those stories that I probably sh- like a lot better than I should. But we see this state of war existing while Samson is the judge of Israel, and, and a lot of this is his own fault. Uh, but, but even though, I mean, whether it's his sin, whether it's, it's him just aggressively uh, terrorizing the Philistines, they are in war, and the nation of Israel is being oppressed. He's, also, he, he's almost caught and killed by the Philistines one night when he sleeps with a prostitute, And he escapes this um, by by lifting the entire city gate and then carrying it with him. Because I guess if you are going to lift a city gate, you might as well just carry it with you. Um, But he's finally defeated because he falls for another woman and is betrayed by her. She robs him of his strength and he's captured. With one last act of murder, he's able to kill all of the Philistine rulers with one last feat of strength, and this last feat is the point. After a life of being submitted to self, after a life of being submitted to gratification, after a life of enjoying his own power, Samson finally does what God asks. My starting place with Samson is hero of the faith. How, how can that even be true? He is an example of so many other things. How could he be a hero of the faith? It just it seems counterintuitive when you read the story and actually see the, the, the character come out, uh, jump off the page. How could this be true? What we see is that in spite of all of Samson's faults, in spite of everything, God used him. Samson led Israel for 20 years, and and he led as a really bad leader. But at the end of his life, he began the liberation of Israel from the Philistines, just as God had promised his parents that he would do. God used Samson's life to demonstrate his forgiveness and his presence to those who ask for him in faith. No matter how far they have strayed, no matter how far they've fallen, no matter how crazy, terrible the life that they've lived might be, God shows us with Samson forgiveness and presence for those that ask in faith. Samson turned to God after a life trying to do it in his own power. Turning to God, he allows God to work out God's power, and we see a hero of the faith. Both Barak and Samson, Samson eventually, show submission of the self to the will of God, both in thanksgiving and in service. As the historical timeline advances, Jesus is going to be another example of giving self. This self-giving motivated by faith in God. And this brings us back to our starting place in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Giving up our life doing the crazy adventure, or realizing how far we've fallen and turning back, all of this is giving up our place as the center of our own universe. This is to participate with God and his plan rather than expecting God to be available to serve in our plan when we want him to. This does take faith to trust God. It takes faith to trust God enough to begin the adventure, and then faith grows as a product of that participation as God meets us every step of the way. This is the product of participation as we accept the invitation to work for the plan of the living God. So we're left with this encouragement and as a promise of the outcome of trusting God's plan our life it's included in the plan of reconciling creation back to him first Corinthians 15 Paul writes so my dear brothers and sisters be strong and immovable always work enthusiastically for the Lord for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless If you are in the position right now of feeling that something that you are doing for the Lord is useless, if you are in a place where you don't understand why you would be in this place, you've submitted to the Lord and you're asking, Why am I doing this? Hear these words from our spiritual lineage Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And then, Matthew 10, 39, we have this reminder. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And this is our return to worship and ministry time. And so I'm going to invite our worship and our prayer team to come forward. And I'm going to invite you to, uh, to just, um, would you just close your eyes with me as we invite the Lord to, to do what the Lord will do this morning with us. So Father... We say, come, Holy Spirit. Father, there is so much, there is so much that we can deal with here. And so, Father, I pray that that you would rest upon us the work that you have for us as we are beckoned to participate with you in your plan. I pray, Father, for those that, that, that are that are like me, that are just struggling with the reality, that that we would rather you participate with us than us participate with you. I pray that you'd come, rest on us. I pray that you'd beckon us forward. I pray that that we could could submit to you in prayer, that we could feel your presence, Lord, and that that, that we could address the, the, the fear and the insecurity that keeps us from trusting you. I pray, Father, that that for those of us that that are, are trying to do what you've put in front of us to do, but man, it is hard, and we don't understand it, and it feels like it's useless, Lord, would you come and show us the reality that nothing we do for you is ever useless. And Father, I pray that as we read scriptures like give up your life for me. I pray that you'd strip all of the religious pretext. I pray that you'd strip all of the ways that that has become an abusive, manipulative tool. I pray that that would be something that we would hear directly from you for your purposes. That we would understand how that call is rooted And so, Father, we turn back to worship you. We turn back in a a time for for us to pray together. We ask that you would be worshiped. but Father, I pray that you would motivate us to the place where we could come forward for prayer and and feel the love of a family, that we would be supported by each other, that we would know that we are not in this alone, and that we would see that, that with you as a center of our order, we have a family loves us, and supports us. As we continue in worship, I would just invite you to come forward as as you feel led. If if you'd like prayer for anything, we have a team up here ready and willing to pray for you. Anything that may have landed on you or anything that you brought in with you that that you might need prayer for, we are here for that as we continue to worship and, and pray for each other.